The Masters tees off this morning as the tradition unlike any other is back. But it could be a sloppy one as the forecast looks dire for the weekend. Also, how will the live players perform as they're back on this course for the first time since they've jumped ship? UConn handles San Diego State to win their fifth national title in the past 24 years. Was this a product of a not-so-robust competitive field? A potential first-round series that the NBA does not want to see as we enter the last weekend of the regular season? How will the playoff seedings in each conference play out when we get to Monday? On the ice, it's becoming clear that the Panthers in the East and the Oilers out West could be primed and ready for the postseason. And the baseball season is a weekend as we see who's gotten off to a good start and who has not. I'm pumped and ready to deliver another action-packed podcast. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, Just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. It's time to turn up the volume and level up with plenty of sports content coming at you at a rapid and entertaining pace as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And to start off with a little bit of a twist. Yes, the NBA is about to embark on its final weekend of the regular season. Yes, the NHL will conclude a week from tomorrow. We know the baseball season is in full swing. The NFL draft is to the end of the month. The college basketball season is now over as UConn wins another national championship. But I'm going to start off with what is already taking place down in Augusta, and that would be the Masters. I know this is a little bit of a different territory for me to start. I get it that once we get past this weekend and starting off on a Monday for a new week, this coming Monday, I'll get into what had taken place at Augusta. But I thought it's only fair to give a few minutes and the Masters some shine only because this is the Super Bowl of golf. This is the weekend that a lot of people look forward to, especially if you're a big-time golf fan, diehard especially, casual fan, and even a sports fan like myself because I was never really into golf or even into the Masters until about 2005. 
That was when Tiger won that year, that famous shot, I believe on 16, where it hung at the lip of the cup and then dropped in. That was that great match that he had against Chris DeMarco. And here it is now, 18 years later. And as the years have gone by, this is one weekend that I look forward to. And now that it's here, with everything that is swirling around, all of the different storylines, whether your name is Rory McIlroy trying to win a major for the first time since 2014, and he's come very close, including last year, where he, I believe, shot a 64 in the final round, but fell short to Scotty Scheffler, who is the eventual champion. You have the live players, which I'll get into, becoming a part of this scene for the first time, obviously in a year, but with the golf season now, of course it's been underway since the start of the year, but when we get to the first major, when we get to that first full weekend of April, this is where the landscape of sports is going to gravitate to, is going to have that big spotlight on. And we know that a lot of the players who have jumped ship to the Live Tour from the PGA, and we know who the guys are, and I'll talk about them in a few minutes, but the one big storyline heading into this weekend, sadly, is going to be Mother Nature. We love to see the azaleas bloom. We love to see the backdrop of what Augusta is all about, the rolling hills, the beautiful scenery, the greenery that comes through in HD. And for today, you may see that with a little bit of clouds. But when we take a look at the forecast over these next three days, today, like I said, it's going to be fine. All right, the sun may not be in full bloom, but it's going to be 85 degrees. Everybody's going to be with the golf shirts, baseball caps, as we know, and it's going to just feel as if spring has already arrived. But after that, it gets very dicey. Tomorrow, 79 degrees, all right, still relatively warm, but an 80% chance of rain. And then now, this is where it really takes a turn. Saturday, the high is going to be 53 degrees with a 90% chance of rain. And then Sunday, it's not going to be that much better as it's going to be 57 degrees with a 70% chance of rain. Which in all likelihood means if the forecast is going to be as it is, we may not see a conclusion of this tournament until Monday. Which we haven't seen in 40 years. You have to go back to 1983 where Seve Ballesteros, remember him? He won the Masters that year. And we may have a shot because of how the weather may break here over the course of the next three days down in that region where we may not have a champion by the time I get back on this microphone to recap everything that's happened over the weekend, not just in golf, but in sports. And you have to wonder whether or not is it going to be a tournament that's going to be foiled and even spoiled by the weather where you're not going to know from one day to the next. Yes, you'll pay attention to who's on top of the leaderboard, but you're not going to have a really good feel or if you're going to be indoors throughout the course of the weekend, when you turn it on and knowing that there's been major delays and maybe they're trying to squeeze in two rounds of golf in one day, knowing that the weather's going to be dire and it looks like they may not even get in all four rounds by the time we get to Sunday before 60 minutes there on CBS. This is one that, for as far as I can remember, and going back to 2005, like I've said, when I've been following the tournament year in and year out, I can't recall a weather report looking as bad as this. 
And you have to wonder, what does this mean for certain players on the tour, whether it's even Tiger Woods, who as we know has been compromised with the leg, although he's pretty much back to him being his normal self, but having to go up and down those rolling hills like I mentioned at Augusta, and not only that, but also going to have to deal with the slickness of the court. We know that that golf course is going to drain phenomenally where you're probably not even going to see a puddle. But with the percentage of the chances of it going to rain and just the mess, the muck, you may see a little bit of mud, especially outside of the fairways. This could not bode well for a guy like Tiger or even another guy that is trying to make a name for himself or maybe one of the live guys who think they could be in competition or be close to the top of the leaderboard where winds may be 20 to 25 miles an hour as we get into the weekend with the drop of temperature from Friday to Saturday. This could be just a gigantic mess, not only just watching it and even following it, but who knows what kind of golf we're going to get here. And that, I think, is going to be a big story going into this weekend. I get it that these players are conditioned to play in certain elements like this. We could talk about all those times over the years across the pond when we talk about the Open, a.k.a. formerly known as the British Open, where St. Andrews, you have those gusts of 30, 35 miles an hour. Everybody's in windbreakers and long sleeve sweatshirts. And I understand that that could be an eyesore to watch and tough to follow, even with the backdrop of St. Andrews and the history of everything. When you think about the game of golf, that's where it was birthed. That's where it was born. And we've seen over the years how watching certain tournaments can be difficult when you have wind, rain, and just really putting a wrinkle into a weekend of golf that everybody's expecting to be at a high level. What are we going to get out of this? Is a big giant unknown. They're going to get the tournament in. It is Augusta. It is the one tournament that everybody looks forward to. But what are we going to get out of it is a whole other story. And to me, sadly, Mother Nature is playing a big part of this. Not right now. Not today. Maybe a little bit tomorrow. Not necessarily with the temperature, but the chance of rain. And then when it takes that giant dip where it's supposed to be 25, 26 degrees below normal, who knows what you're going to get out of that. That's number one. Number two, is the live versus the PGA Tour. And I kind of hate to put it that way, to make them out to be rivals or to pit two groups against one another. But that's what you're going to get here. And I mentioned Rory McIlroy, who as we know has been the spokesperson of the PGA. And we know how he feels about the players that have transitioned over to the live tour. But that is going to be interesting to see how these players, whether your name is Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Cam Smith, guys like that who may be at the top of the leaderboard come Sunday. And I'm sure they're chomping at the bit knowing that they have not played on pristine golf courses because of making that jump to the live, playing in unknown courses throughout the world, not having a lot of fanfare or even for it to be broadcasted throughout the world on a major network. So yes, they've been well below the radar here since they have moved over to the Live Golf League and now they're front and center for the whole world to see. 
And I'm sure those aforementioned guys, including a few others, Lee Westwood and Sergio Garcia, who has won the Masters in the past, but for them to get back here and knowing that there may be some murmurs and some side eyes with a handful of the current PGA players that are on the tour, I think that's going to make for great theater. Because you have these top guys, like I mentioned, and who have won Masters in the past. I get it that they may not be anywhere close to the leaderboard or may not even make the cut if you're Phil Mickelson, if you're Sergio Garcia, guys like that. But Brooks Kepka, who as we all know has been a big time winner here on the tour prior to him going to the live. Bryson DeChambeau won at the U.S. Open a couple years back at Wingfoot. And he's a guy who has not played well here over the last couple of years, so I'm sure he's going to be primed and ready to go to see what he can do on this golf course against the former brethren that was on the PGA Tour. So you have that dynamic going in where, me personally, I could care less. I know that I made a little bit of a stink for these guys jumping ship and how it was going to be just a division where you're going to have all these top players in the world go play in this unknown and not having any type of legs or any type of juice because... It's pretty much starting from the ground up. And we all know that they went for the money. And now that they're all part of the mix here, it's going to be intriguing and it's going to be interesting to see whether these guys can play on a top level. They're not playing 54 holes. They don't have to worry about making cuts when you're playing on a live. But no, now you're almost going to get to see what they're made of here being removed from the tour and now coming back to this legendary golf course to see where they stack against guys who have been on the tour, who have been on the circuit, whether it was playing at Bay Hill, whether it was playing at the Waste Management in Phoenix that weekend before the Super Bowl, all of it. So now we're going to find out with the weather playing a big factor, but how these guys are going to perform here going up against one another to see who's going to be the last guy or the last few guys standing, especially going into the last round on Sunday to see where they stack up Live Tour versus the PGA. And then you have Tiger. We all know he's going to be a big story. Tiger, early in the week, said that he's playing to compete and why would he say anything less? We know that this is going to be a tough chore for him to have to walk this course and not just for one day, not just for two days, but if he makes the cut to go four days. And with the weather and with everything that I just talked about, how he's going to perform here is going to be also fascinating to see with everything that has transpired here over the last year, him having to bow out of tournaments, him not playing in the PGA to skip that, to go play in the open and try to tune up to get his body ready for four days at Augusta because you know he's thinking about four days. He's not thinking about just making the cut. But again, with stiff competition elements, his body, he is 47 years of age. It's not as if he's 37, even with the accident and all the drama that has preceded that. No, he's three years to 50. And as we know, his physical shape, he could be in peak ripped cut form, but we know it's going to take a toll him having to traipse through that golf course for two days to start and maybe even for four days to try to get through four rounds and see where he stacks amongst the leaderboard and, of course, the other guys on the tour. Now, as far as who wins 
This is where you're just going to have a flip of coin, people, because we know who the top golfers are. We know the Scotty Schefflers, who's the defending champ. We know John Rahm, who has been arguably the best player in the world to go along with Cam Smith, and I'm sure he's going to want to put his fingerprints all over this golf course and this tournament. Rory McIlroy, who, as I mentioned, his displeasure for the players on the Live Tour, on top of him not winning a major in so long and any momentum from last year, what that can mean for this year. And a lot of people will argue that he belongs in the top five, but we all know that these guys are going to be stacked by how they do in major tournaments. It's fine if he can win the TPC or he could win the LA Open, Canadian Open, all these other events on the tour, which is fine and dandy. But we all know it's all about the four majors and this one being the biggest of all. And Rory's had his opportunities. He blew that Masters going back, what, a dozen years ago? And then last year, although he came roaring back and finished, I believe he was second place last year, but still, he had to have a furious finish just to finish second. But we've seen him on this level go into Sunday either tied, a stroke or two behind, or maybe maybe even a stroke or two ahead. And he's still fallen short of winning a major tournament that we haven't seen in what's going on nine years. Who wins? I'm going to pick a guy. And you know me, I want to go against the green. There's been times I picked John Rahm to win tournaments, etc. But I like the way Will Zalatoris has played, especially on this surface and on this course. We saw two years ago that he ended up in second place and played phenomenal. He was one that came out of nowhere. And even though he was a guy that you had to keep an eye on, but I think Zalatoris, who is a long shot, I think he's 35-1 to if you're a betting man. But for a guy like that, which I'm sure everybody's going to talk about the aforementioned guys, including the Live Tour players, I get it. But for Zalatoris, if I'm going to pick a guy, I'm going to see if he's going to be a guy that's going to put on that green jacket when it's all said and done. And there's a plethora of guys you could pick. Of course, you could go ahead, the Colin Morikawas of the world, the Xander Shoffleys. I mean, there's so many guys out there. But I'm going to pick Zalatoris as a guy that Maybe laying in the weeds, not to say that nobody recognizes him or he's not on anybody's radar, but I like the way he played there, and I get it's two years ago, but he's a guy that there are some people that would even think him think of him as a dark horse to see if he could go ahead and win the first major golf tournament of 2023. And we'll recap it on Monday, quite possibly, but who knows, we may have a final round to get through on Monday, which wouldn't be good for the sport, but what can you do if the weather and if Mother Nature has a say in it? It sure could be three rounds in with one more to go by the time we reconnect there on Monday. All right, now let me put on my high tops and get to the college game first before I get to the pros. And this will be quick. I understand it's three days old, but just a brief recap of the national championship game and then overall on a whole, and I'll start there. The Final Four did not live up to the billing of what we saw from the tournament leading up to the Final Four. Now, granted, the first game was great. We saw San Diego State come back on FAU. We talked about that on Monday. How the final couple of minutes there, San Diego State, for them to come back the way they did, they were down by 14. And then FAU, with all those timeouts, I thought they were tight. And that led to the mislayup by John L. Davis. And then the other way with Lamont Butler draining the game-winning, buzzer-beating shot that got them to the final. 
And then you had the nightcap with UConn and Miami. And then the championship game was pretty much a carbon copy of that game against Miami to where the Huskies got out to a big lead. They played from in front all night. And then you had that one stretch there with about nine, ten minutes to go where San Diego State was able to cut that lead to five. I think at that point it was maybe five and a half minutes to go. And I thought to myself at that point, I said, this next basket is going to be huge. Whether it's a two, even if it's a foul where they get to the line, whatever it may be, if they get another stop and cut it to three, then we may see UConn get tight. But as it was after the Aztecs cut it to 60 to 55, Jordan Hawkins, who didn't have a good game up until that point, comes down the other way, drains a three to put the lead up to eight. And at that point, they went on a 9-0 run. That was your game. And any shot for San Diego State to put on that glass slipper one last time shattered after Hawkins drained that three. And that's all there is to it. And I understand that you weren't going to get anything close to what we've seen throughout the course of the tournament in that Final Four because you didn't have the heavyweight matchups. You look back at last year, North Carolina Duke, do I even need to say any more? Villanova, Kansas. I get it that Kansas was able to pull away late, but again, close almost to the very end. And then the national championship game where North Carolina actually had a shot, but Kansas was able to not necessarily hang on, but they were able to overcome a last-minute push by North Carolina and won a national championship. You didn't see that here in this Final Four. Part of it is the competition. Part of it is you had three teams make it to the Final Four for the first time. And obviously, two going at it head-to-head in San Diego State and FAU. And when you have also a team like San Diego State who doesn't have dominant scoring, as I mentioned early on in the tournament, Matt Bradley was your leading scorer on the team, but he only had 14 points a game. And he did not have a good game here. Wasn't even a factor. And it's unfortunate because this is what the possibility that you get in in all likelihood, even the probability that you get when you have a team that even though they were a five seed, but as we all know, they're a mid-major, they're not a top-ranked team, they're not a team that is on the map when it comes to college basketball, and you're going to have a performance and even an outcome like we saw there on Monday night, albeit for a brief moment you thought, could this be a bit of a turnaround? But then Jordan Hawkins said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not having any of that. And then it makes you think, UConn, they deserved it. They won by double digits pretty much throughout the whole tournament. I think every game they did, even though they had a little bit of a scare early, and it wasn't even a scare. I know Iona was the first half. You still had another half to go. But this was probably the, not going to say the easiest, but it wasn't the most challenging. And that's not to knock any of the teams that UConn beat along the way. They did beat Gonzaga, Arkansas, which have been two good tournament teams over the last few years. Of course, it was a toss-up with Miami and San Diego State. You didn't know what you were going to get there. But it's not as if they ran through the gamut and ran through a just a brutal schedule. And not to say that every champion goes through a brutal schedule, but they didn't really have to break a sweat. And it made you wonder whether or not that this competitive field was it robust enough for UConn to, let's say, if you had to do it all over again, and had teams like North Carolina in, and Kentucky making a deep run, or Duke, 
or Kansas knocked off. And that's the other thing too. Not to say they would have fared any better against Purdue or Kansas or any of those other teams, but when you don't have those blue bloods and when you don't have those top-ranked teams in there, obviously it's going to make it easier for a team like UConn who is ranked fourth in their region. But as we all know, they were a top-ranked team pretty much throughout the course of the year. But when you don't have the Purdue's, as we found out, were a fraud, or even Arizona, we saw Alabama and Houston, two number one seeds that got knocked off before the Elite Eight and were eventually frauds. And when you have these four teams that were standing and one that has been down this road before, maybe at recently, but has a history of being in a Final Four and winning where the other three teams were just, I'm not going to say happy to be there, but you got to admit, this was uncharted territory for them. Where this university in UConn, they've been there, done that, even with a new coach, even with new players and a different culture. But the thing is, is that the brand and the institution that they are is already in place. So they know what it takes because of their predecessors. Something that Miami, San Diego State, and FAU do not have. But you beat the teams who you beat. And yes, it would have been nice for it to be a little bit more of a bumpier ride for UConn, but it's not their fault that all those other teams got knocked off before them and that they were the one team that were able to cut down the nets when it's all said and done. So congratulations to them. UConn, their fifth national title in 24 years. That's a remarkable achievement, but I don't want to hear dynasty people. I get it. It's five. It's the most in the last 25 years and since the turn of the century. Understood, but come on. Let's not get crazy here. All right, now as I turn my attention to the pro circuit, the NBA now into the final weekend. And there are some intriguing storylines here heading into the weekend as far as positioning when it comes to seeding here and what we saw last night in LA. And I get it. No excuses. I know LeBron's going to come out and say the back-to-back got the best of us and how, yes, they were ready, they were prepared after beating the Utah Jazz the night before. And I believe it was an overtime, I might add. So I understand that they... Had a game that went an extra frame and then had to fly back to LA and then, of course, play the Clippers there on that back-to-back. Nobody's going to have crocodile tears or feel sorry for the Lakers for not being able to pull off a victory, although it was a road game against the Clippers. But that was a big win for the Clippers last night and for a couple of reasons. One, it definitely gives them in good stead to get the sixth seed in the Western Conference as they currently have a game lead over the Lakers. And I understand a lot could happen here over the course of these next three days where both teams still have two games to play. But you would think that the Clippers, who now have the five seed in the Western Conference, will avoid the playing tournament altogether. If they would have lost that game last night, the Lakers would have moved up in the standings where the Clippers would have fell back in the seventh seed. And the last thing they want to do is have to play in this playing tournament starting Tuesday. But... The Lakers, they may had a great run here. They've won 10 out of 15. And even if they end up at 7, they'll have a home game. They'll host, in all likelihood, it'll be the Pelicans in that playing scenario. And if they win that game, then they'll go up against the Memphis Grizzlies there once the playoffs begin a week from this coming Saturday. But here's the other storyline. And even though right now we see the Clippers as a 5 seed, But I will say this, and again, this is a big if, and it's a lot of potential, and this is all pretty much predicated on what's going to happen here over the next two days, or three days. 
because the season will conclude on Sunday. If the Golden State Warriors, by chance, end up as the five and have to play and go up in their first round against the Phoenix Suns, that is the one series that the NBA will never admit, but they will not want to see that. Think about it. Let's say if Golden State does happen to leapfrog, and I don't know what the tiebreaker is because they both have the same record. They're 42-38, and 38, but the Clippers are currently in the five seed. I don't know if that's because they have a head-to-head matchup against them. Maybe they've beaten the Warriors three out of four times this year. I don't know. I'd have to really take a deep dive on that. But the Warriors do have a shot to get that five seed, which would mean they will go on the road to Phoenix. But here's the bad thing about that. It'll be intriguing. It'll be great theater where you'll have Kevin Durant go up against his former team. You'll have the two Western Conference representatives that made it into the NBA Finals the last two years. It would be high scoring. It would be a lot of drama, etc. But one of those two teams is going to have to go. So that means you may have Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul out in the first round if Golden State wins. And obviously, if the Suns win, bye-bye to the defending champs. You're not going to see Steph Curry in around two. You're not going to see Klay Thompson. Who knows Andrew Wiggins and his status coming back with the personal family matter that he's had. Seemed like forever. I get it. Not my business, but he hasn't been in the lineup here in the last 22 games. So you're going to have a scenario where the NBA, they may clap and cheer and say, oh, it's going to be great for ratings. It's going to be great for the fans, so on and so forth. Nonsense. To have one of those two teams gone, not a good look. And even if the Clippers, even if they end up there at a five seed, they would rather see the Clippers there. Now, I understand the Clippers could be a threat. We got to wait to see what's going to happen with Paul George and the status of his health heading into the weekend and obviously next week. It will be a bonus for them to keep themselves above the seven line because let's just say for argument's sake, they lose the next two and then the Lakers and Warriors leapfrog over them. That means they're going to be in the seven seed. And who knows, without Paul George there in the playing tournament, What does that mean where they may have to force them back into the lineup or let's say they lose that game and then they're going to have to play a second game? That's just a mess that they want to avoid altogether. But as of right this second, if it just so happens to be, and this is why I bring it up now, because on Monday when we take a look at the whole playoff, and I get it that we're going to have to focus in on the playing tournament first, but if the Warriors do end up at 5 The NBA, they are going to detest that to a man and a woman. And as it is, we'll take a quick look here at the final couple of games to see where the Warriors and Clippers will fall. The Warriors' final two games are on the road at Sacramento and at Portland. Now, Sacramento's not going to need the game. They're already entrenched in the three spot. You would think Mike Brown's probably going to rest some of the players or give them just sparingly as far as minutes go. So maybe that will bode well for... Golden State to win those final two games and keep themselves as a sixth seed. But then with the Clippers, I'm sure they're probably going to play Friday and Sunday. I would think Sunday with that being the final day, that's where everybody's going to play. So you would think that that's going to be the case. The Clippers' final two games are home to Portland and at Phoenix. And that's on a back-to-back. They play Saturday and Sunday. And the funny thing is, though, both in the afternoon, 4 o'clock game, Saturday, 3.30 Sunday. So, we'll see what happens come Monday when we break this down, whether or not Golden State does move up to five. That remains to be seen. 
But when we look at the playoff picture overall, we know that in the East, those three to six seeds is pretty much etched in stone and locked. Where you have Philadelphia, they'll play the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, and you'll have Cleveland and the Knicks to where the Knicks will have won five in a row and have played very well this year. They actually may be close to 50 wins. They're not going to get to 50. They're currently 47 and 33. So they're going to be as high as 49. Who would have thought that at the beginning of the year? But the Knicks will be on the road in the first round to play Cleveland. And then the Nets will also be on the road to play Philadelphia. That's a lock. Of course, we can't predict 7 through 10 just yet to see who the Bucks or Celtics will play. And I would also apply to the teams out West where... Even with Sacramento entrenched in the three, we still don't know what's going to happen with five and six. Sacramento could play Golden State. They could play the Clippers. They may even play the Lakers when it's all said and done, or even the Pelicans for that matter, to see where they lie when the season wraps up on Sunday. So even with those three and four seeds locked in, we still don't know who they're going to play. And... Let's see what this little bit of a logjam and how the weekend will play out. And that also includes the Mavericks, who beat Sacramento yesterday. And they had their final two games at home, as I mentioned there on Monday, where they're playing Chicago and San Antonio. Now, Chicago, they're already locked in. But let's see what's going to happen with the Bulls. I'm sure they're going to play everybody because they currently have the 10 seed. And they're two games behind the Raptors for the 9. So you can forget about that. I would think that the Bulls, they're going to go full bore. These are all playoff games from here on out. Maybe they rest a player or two, depending on how the games go, whether it gets out of hand on the plus or the minus side for them. But the Mavericks are the team right now that have been struggling down the stretch. They're going to hope to see if Oklahoma City, maybe they collapse here down the stretch where they have to play at Utah and Memphis to close out their season. So we're going to get to wait and see what will happen there at the bottom, whether Dallas sneaks in through the back door and maybe play a road game, which would be in Minnesota. So you still have some spots up for grabs and positioning there, as we talked about in the West. And we will all break it down on Monday to see who makes it, who doesn't, who's on the outside looking in, who drops into the playing tournament, and whether or not Golden State does make it as a five seed in their first round matchup would be Phoenix. And again, I don't care if you're Adam Silver or I don't care if you're the janitor in the NBA offices. That is one that the Kale Salad and the Sauvignon Blanc will not go down well Sunday night if that matchup will be in the first round there out in the West. So just keep that in mind. Now, as I lace up my skates and take a trip around the ice and it is becoming a... Fast and furious race, whether it's in the divisions or in the wild card, and the two teams that are right now leading the pack in the sport at this very moment and are flying high and are hot as a pistol. And I'll start in the East. The Florida Panthers, and this is a team that is underachieved big time this year. Remember last year they won a President's Trophy. They had the best record in the sport. And we all know what happened. They did beat the Capitals in the first round and then got swept in the second round by their upstate rivals in the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then this year, they made the big trade. Matthew Kachuk from Calgary for Jonathan Huberdeau. They bring in a new coach in one Paul Maurice. And they were not able to get out of their own way from the start of the season up until the last, I'd say, 10 days or so. And now they've gotten themselves to a point 
to where they've won four in a row. They are now the number one seed in the wild card in the East as they're tied with the Islanders at the present moment. And if they end up with that one seed and end up in the postseason, they will avoid having to play the Boston Bruins in the first round. And the Penguins, they're just one point behind both the Panthers and Islanders for those two spots. So you know it is going to be tooth and nail down the stretch. And it's going to be between those three teams for the two spots. The Islanders, they have a huge game tonight. And with Tampa in town, they lost to the Rangers last night, so they're going to play on a back-to-back. And with the Islanders being idle since Sunday, this is a must-win. Now, they still have three more games on the schedule after tonight. They host the Flyers on Saturday, which I'll be going out to. Then they go to Washington, who they beat last week. But you know Washington is going to want to play spoiler. And then they play the Canadians to wrap up their season, I believe, next Friday. But tonight is enormous because maybe that gets them on track, even with three of their final four games at home. But then beating Tampa to then go into the weekend to play a flyer team who has been a dead team skating for quite some time. And now is it for the Islanders to where they really have to play at a top-notch and level up here with these few days off to kind of get away from the sport. And now, with Tampa going in, a little bit of a losing streak, haven't been playing well and getting beat up by the Rangers last night. Bunch of fights in the game last night, which you like if you're truly. But let's see how they perform with a Tampa Bay team who is going to be creeping into the UBS arena with their tail between their legs, and let's see if the Islanders will be fresh as a daisy to try to get themselves back ahead and with that one spot there in the Eastern Conference wildcard race. Because as we break down the Panthers' schedule here over the course of the next week, and the season does end a week from tomorrow, they have the Senators at home, which will be tonight. So we're going to be scoreboard watching if you're an Islander fan to see how they do against the Ottawa Senators. Then they have at Washington, home to Toronto, and home to Carolina. So three of their final four games are going to be at home. Carolina's probably not going to need the game next Thursday. Same for Toronto as they have a sizable lead or at least an arm's length lead over the Lightning there in the Atlantic. But the Islanders, they have it right in front of them. And with three of their four games at home, and other than tonight... They're not playing stiff competition. So they should be able to withstand this stretch. And I know I can't trust them and anything could go. But then when we look at the Penguins, they host the Wild tonight. And the Wild, they're in a bitter fight in the Central as they're tied for first with Dallas and Colorado, all with 98 points. So they're going to need this game tonight. And then you have the Penguins going to Detroit on Saturday. Then they host the Blackhawks and then go to Columbus, so their schedule eases up. I couldn't even tell you what's going to happen here with these wildcard races, not only here, but even also out in the Pacific, which is a little bit of a, some distance there as Seattle has put themselves in a spot where they're going to probably clinch the one seed sometime early next week, and I'll get to the West in a second. But the East is a coin flip. I think the Panthers, with them playing well, they're probably going to get one of those next two spots. But it's going to be between the Islanders and Penguins as to who's going to get that second spot in the wild card. And then they're going to be sacrificial lambs to the Boston Bruins in the first round of the playoffs. Unless the Panthers revert back to their midseason form and then fall flat on their face to where 
they may end up getting the second spot or fall out of the wild card race altogether. I think when it's all said and done, I think the Islands will hang on. I think the Panthers are going to make the postseason. I don't know about the Penguins. Even with all their championship medal experience, etc., they're an older team. They're just trying to get to the finish line. And who knows? They may make it to the postseason, but I don't know. I don't see it. But they have an easy schedule, and tonight against Minnesota is not easy. But after that, it's smooth sailing. But as we all know, these teams could play spoiler. And when it's all said and done, any one of these teams could be in the postseason, and one's going to be on the outside looking in. That's number one. The other team that has been just on fire in the last few weeks are the Edmonton Oilers. And they beat the Kings there two nights ago to surpass them in the Pacific standings to where now they're in second place. And they beat Anaheim last night. And this is a team, as everybody knows, I've talked about time in and time out, where they have the best player in the sport and how he needs to get to a cup final this year. They made it to the conference finals last year before losing. And then after trying to navigate their way through the 82-game regular season and just try to get their footing, even with Connor McDavid leading the charge and leading the pack there, but they have really gotten into their own. They've really played solid and, if not spectacular, hockey here to where they've now won six in a row. They are currently two points, excuse me, one point behind Vegas for the top spot there in the Pacific. And who knows, when it's all said and done, now the Golden Knights do have a game in hand, so that you're going to have to keep in mind. But Edmonton, just like I mentioned about the Lakers the other day, are they peaking or have they already peaked? I think with this young team, who knows, maybe McDavid is kind of feeling it at the moment, knowing that this team is getting into a good groove, knowing that they went far last year, but not far enough, losing to Colorado there in the conference finals, and now they're ready to take the next leap. And for their sake, I hope they do so. I picked them to go to the final this year. I picked them to win the Stanley Cup. So who knows? Maybe this is their time and they're peaking at the right point knowing that the playoffs are still 10 days away. I believe a week from Monday is when the playoffs will begin. But if they could get that one seed, so at least they could host not only in the first round, but throughout the entire Western Conference playoffs. And maybe that's something that they're gunning for. Knowing that if they do surpass the Golden Knights and will have the best record in the conference, that they'll have home cooking up in Edmonton, Alberta throughout until they get to a Stanley Cup final where they may face the Boston Bruins if chalk were to present itself. So Edmonton and Florida, those are the two teams that we're looking at right now to see with all the gas in their tank, if they could not only get to the playoffs, in the East for the Panthers, but also get the home ice out West if you're Edmonton. And other than that, the race in the Central is going to be bitter to the end. Colorado has a game in hand with both Dallas and Minnesota. And as I take a quick look at those schedules, the Avalanche, they're in the midst of a California swing where they're at San Jose tonight, at LA Saturday, Anaheim on Sunday before coming home to play Edmonton and Winnipeg before wrapping up their season in Nashville. So that's the Colorado Avalanche schedule. As far as Dallas, their schedule is as follows. They will have a game hosting Philadelphia tonight. 
Vegas on Saturday, big matchup there. Then they're at Detroit, at St. Louis, and they wrap up with St. Louis coming to their building next Thursday. And as far as the Wild goes, we talked about them playing in Pittsburgh tonight. Then they host St. Louis at Chicago, Winnipeg at Nashville. Bit of a tricky schedule, only because you have Pittsburgh, Winnipeg, I understand St. Louis, Chicago, who knows, and then Nashville, who I know they're pretty much fighting for their playoff lives, and it looks like they're not going to make it as far as the wild card goes, and we'll take a look at the West wild card in a second, but that race is going to come down to the very end, I'll look through the Kings schedule in a second, as we look at the Pacific, as we all know, that's going to see whether or not the Kings or the Oilers are going to get the one seed there, but let's take a look at LA and their schedule. Their next game, they're at Vegas tonight, so they have a chance to inch closer there in the division if they wish. Then they host Colorado, Vancouver, at Anaheim. So for the Kings, next couple of games, tricky. Vancouver, Anaheim, not so bad as they try to see if they could catch Edmonton or an outside shot of catching Vegas there for the division lead. And as far as Edmonton, they host the Sharks is that game Saturday? All right, so they have a couple of days off. They're going through that California stretch. I thought maybe they would play tomorrow after the back-to-back games there with Anaheim and L.A. But they'll go to San Jose there on Saturday, and they'll follow that up with at Colorado and then San Jose to close out their season. So three games. We talked about the games in hand that they have there. Two against the Sharks and then Colorado sandwiched in between. And that's what we have here in this NHL season. The East is pretty much set. I'm not going to go through the Metropolitan, although we know it's Carolina, the Devils, and the Rangers, but they're all separated by three points. The races that you have there, and I didn't even talk about the Western Conference. Let me talk about that as far as the wild card real quick. I mentioned Seattle. They currently have the one seed, and they're going to have that comfortably. I believe they have 94 points as I pull that up here. The Kraken, who have played... Over anybody's heads this year, considering their second year of existence, and they performed like an expansion team last year. 94 points, 5 points ahead Winnipeg. And remember, last night, I forgot about this, Calgary beat Winnipeg. So they are currently tied. 89 points. Now Winnipeg has a game in hand. So Winnipeg currently has the 2 seed in the Western Conference. But as far as those two teams go, and Nashville has 86 so they do have a shot on the outside looking in with two games in hand. So I'm guessing i have to look at their schedules well before I move on to baseball. Winnipeg has on the docket Saturday against Nashville. Then they have San Jose on Monday at Minnesota at Colorado. That is a tough conclusion to their season. And as we all know, with Minnesota, Colorado needing those games for not only to win a division, but also maybe to get home ice if they at least fall as a two seed, Winnipeg could be on the outside looking in when it's all said and done. That is a tough stretch. And while we're on the subject of Nashville, again, they're going to play Winnipeg as we know to start. Then they have Calgary. They have to go up to Alberta to play them. Not easy. Followed by Minnesota and Colorado. Forget about Nashville making the playoffs. That is just tough sledding. Think about this. And they have games in hand against Winnipeg and Calgary. And they have back-to-back matchups with them, so it's all in front of them. But you talk about a gauntlet. Winnipeg, 
Calgary on the road before coming home to play Minnesota and Colorado. Good luck to Nashville. As far as Calgary goes, they have at Vancouver on Saturday, so that bodes well to get themselves jump-started. Then Nashville, San Jose to close out your season. Calgary could sneak in. Winnipeg, bit of a tough schedule. Forget about Nashville. And Calgary could be the team that sneaks in and gets a 2 seed when it's all said and done. So something to also keep in the front of your mental Rolodex if you're following these races. Intriguing to say the least. And Calgary could be the team that sneaks in. Because Winnipeg, tough sledding. Nashville, forget about. And Calgary could be it. And maybe they could be a team that's dangerous once they get into the postseason. Now, they haven't shown that all year. We get that. And remember, they had an excellent year last year. They lost in the conference semis to Edmonton. But I will not be surprised if Calgary is going to be the last team standing there out west in the wild card. Think about that. That is your NHL people as we get ready for the final week there and the opening week of the baseball season as I lace up my cleats, put on the batting gloves. And as we're one week in, as a Mets fan, do I even need to talk about the Mets right now? Their home opener was scheduled for today, but they postponed it because even though it's supposed to be 78 degrees, and I believe the rain, although it was foggy when I left this morning, and the sun was starting to break through the clouds, but it's supposed to be 78 degrees here in New York. The rain is supposed to come in the evening. They probably could have got the game in, but this is why they have the... Thursday day where they have the scheduled off day tomorrow because then they know they can make it up tomorrow. So the Mets will have a day off, which they absolutely need in the worst way after the abomination that we saw in Milwaukee the, over the past three days. And I'm not even going to get into that. It's way too early. I know I posted on my social media accounts. Was yesterday a must win for the Mets on April 5th? Of course, that's a stretch. But with the way the Mets are and their history, track record, etc., <laughs> It's not, you can't put it past them to think that it wasn't a must game knowing that they got shut out 10 nothing and 9 nothing there in Milwaukee in the first two games and then got a walk-off there yesterday. Uh, I know I said I was going to talk about it, but now I digress. What we've seen this opening week, I know the Rays, 6-0, and and you look at it and you say, wow, what a great start by the Rays. But they played the Tigers and the Nationals. Okay, let's just start there. Let me see them play some better competition and then we could talk. And I think Oakland is coming into their building this weekend. So they may be 9-0 when it's all said and done when we reconvene on Monday. So just take that with a grain of salt if that's the case. So the Rays are off and flying as we see. The disappointment so far, you got to look at the Phillies 1-5. and five. Even to a certain extent, you have to look at the Mariners 2-5. and five. And I talked about the Mariners maybe even in, being an early disappointment out of the gate. And they've done so... Not only did they lose three out of four to the Cleveland Guardians to kick off their year, but then for the Angels of all teams to win two out of three, and we know the Angels, they're in flux right now. I get it, it's only the first week of the season, but we would think once we get into May and June, it's going to be who's going to win the Shohei Otani sweepstakes, we would think. But two and five is not what the... Mariners thought and their fan base in the Pacific Northwest after their great run last year, making it into the postseason and getting into the division series. But again, it's one week we can't get crazy, understood. But those are the two things that are stick out. I know the Guardians are 5-2, and two, but hey, the Guardians won a division and they 
Gave the Yankees all they could handle last year, so that's not a surprise. Braves 5-1. Brewers 5-1 may be a surprise, but at the expense of the Mets, maybe not so much. That's what you have here early on. I'm not going to go deep in the weeds here in this baseball season after a week. Definitely unfair. But when we talk about the Angels, I was surprised that Anthony Rendon got four games. Now, I didn't see the video. We talked about this on Monday where he had an incident with a fan out in Oakland, called him some, let's say, salty 12-letter words, figure that one out. And for Rendon, who can't get out of his own way with his health, and now he has four games to sit because of this, I believe they gave him five and then appealed it to where he got four, where he grabbed a fan, and I even think he tried to swing on him, but missed. Not a good look. And I understand it's tough when you got fans in your ear calling you names or whatever, but you got to be bigger and better than that. Rendon's been in the league how many years now? Seven, eight, nine years. You got to just tune that out. And I understand it's tough. It's tricky. If you had a bad day that day and somebody gets under your skin, this is what happens. And I'm not saying that's the case, but I was a little bit surprised. I could see him getting fined. Maybe they use Rendon as an example here for any other players that are out of line when it comes to fans and wanting to protect the fan to a certain extent, knowing that they shouldn't be screaming what they're screaming, but I get it. They paid their money, hard-earned, and they want to yell and scream all they want, but when you cross that line, I understand that it's just one that the player just cannot let it get to him, and in this case, it got to Rendon, and now he's got to sit for four games as the Angels try to get themselves off to a good start here this year, and as we take a look at their record, all right, Four and two, not bad. But remember last year, I think they were 24 and 13 before they bottomed out there in the middle of May and their season was out to sea by the time we got to Independence Day. So that's what I have with the baseball. Nothing much else to report or anything that's uh, alarming. I'm not going to look at schedules this weekend to see who's going to play who. We'll recap that all on Monday as well as everything else that's happening in the world of sports, as you know. And that will do it for this podcast. Thank you so much, as always. For your participation, for stopping by, for listening to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. As I say time after time, your participation is never, ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review to increase the visibility of so many other podcasts that are out there. I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, you could do so on YouTube, at J Reels, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels1, just a number. Or if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, suggestion, you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com or in a DM. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website. The equipment, because this experience, I want to enhance it even that much more with your contribution to be entertaining, informative, enjoyable, pleasurable, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. Sports is in the blood. It's in the DNA. Wake me up at 2.30 in the morning to get behind this mic. I will do so. Wake me up on a weekend where there's a big party going on. I'm going to want to interview some former or current athletes or a broadcaster, writer, etc., I'm there. I was born to do this, people. 
And as long as I'm alive and breathing, I'm going to continue to pump out these podcasts twice a week for as long as I'm alive because the passion, fire, fury, and energy is what I love to put across into this microphone to your earbuds and speakers with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>